Hi, you're listening to Ghostwood Radio, a Twin Peaks podcast at Movie Fail. I'm Soren Howe, and I'm here with Josh Rosenfield. And today we're going to be discussing uh, Rest in Pain, which is the fourth or... Fourth. Fifth well, it's the f- episode, it's, I guess? Yeah, fourth. it's it's called episode three. <laughs> Isn't it? Yeah. But it is the Sorry, it's fourth ostensibly episode. episode three. That's what it is. It is ostensibly episode three. Um, but yes, yeah, so Rest in Pain. Uh, so... Yeah, it's been uh, there's been a, a small gap between these episodes, uh, just various uh, family issues and things to deal with <laughs> on my end. Um, but we are back uh, in the world of Twin Peaks, and this was um, yeah, it's funny. Like last last episode ended on a bit of a uh, sort of cliffhanger or, or teaser for the next episode, um, and. I was initially very excited about it, but then, or very interested to see what would happen. And then um, there was this gap between the episodes because we were, because uh, I had, you know, we had sort of postponed it for a little bit. Um, so in restarting, you know, in starting this episode and being reminded they even had a previously on in the um, episode I saw, um, I was like, oh yeah, this is, we're going to get some, some really good info in this episode. And we did, to be fair, get a lot of, you know, revelations and, and things like that but um perhaps not quite the uh the reveal that was promised yeah it is it is pretty so. funny how they kind of they drag out this intro for a little bit and cooper does it intentionally um he kind of tries to soft pedal mm. the reveal um that he forgot what the reveal <laughs> that he forgot what the reveal is going to be um it is really it is really funny um because if you're watching this in you know, 1990, yeah, 1990 when it aired, um, you're not aware, and for you, obviously, as well, you're not aware of what the structure of Twin Peaks is, so it's very, it's entirely possible that they could have revealed the killer in this episode, and then just moved on to something else. Um, in fact, this episode does kind of right. open up different plot avenues um, for Cooper and uh, other main characters, aside from the murder, related to the murder, but separate from it yeah um but right, the way exactly. it just it, it teases it in the last episode and then completely discards it with the most ridiculous <laughs> um excuse which is the justin cooper forgot um is very very funny it is it's a it, it's funny though in a in a different sense because it's yeah. it's very plausible I mean, a lot of things in the show <laughs> don't. Uh, but the, the, what does feel plausible is this idea that you would hear, you were, you're sure you heard the the identity of something, or like, uh, you know, oh, somebody told me some stock option in my dream that would make me millions of dollars, but I just can't remember the stock or whatever. Um, and it's that kind of thing that you absolutely do feel after you've heard, you've had a dream where like it's the it's the one thing you want to know. It's uh, this one important. Uh, thing and, and you're sure you heard it very clearly in the dream but then afterwards you can't remember what it was um, and yet what, what's weird about this dream and of course you know that's the underlying you know supernatural edge to the show I guess is that it pertains to different things in the um, in the show and in the town that are real even though he dreamed them and couldn't really know about them without having had this dream so in some ways, it's like a, a premonition, a, a vision in some in some sense. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a it's a weird phenomenon, weird little 
piece to throw into the to the mix of yeah, and the way he describes it too is in some way it's different from what we see like i think the way he talks about it is that uh, he got a call from the man named mike um but what we see in the dream is just yeah. mike just talking directly to the camera um so the way that we yeah. experienced it is different from the way that cooper seems to have, that he remembers it or that he experienced it which is interesting because yeah the way it was presented is very much like you say a premonition um a kind of a psychic like you know a vision um and cooper apparently seemed to experience it more in a more literal way or grounded way like something that was actually happening to him um i don't know how much that has to do with uh just the scripts um and the shooting schedule i don't know when they shot that material it's so separate from everything else um it's not clear like well did they think that it was going to be different when it aired that it was going to more resemble what cooper describes i'd prefer the idea that uh it doesn't matter and that this is a very intentional way of cooper kind of not like in the way you like you say you do with dreams not quite remembering exactly how it happened um you know because it is so it is such a strange thing to contradict what we saw on screen you know a week ago yeah i mean my, my assumption was just that we were shown pieces of his dream and didn't see the whole thing because i mean he says things like oh and then i aged 25 years but the first time we yeah. see him he's old he also says that didn't dream, he say so. something about how mike shot bob we didn't see that at all so you're right yeah there's definitely stuff yeah, like exactly. we, we definitely only saw and and it did cut from the dream to just shots of him sleeping so there was an implication that we weren't seeing all of the dream uh that he experienced um yeah exactly partially it's that you, we, we didn't see all that dream it's also possible that you know things were communicated to him non-verbally because it's a dream and you know it's all just manifestations of his own psyche or whatever so there's no reason for him to um you know there's no reason for it to necessarily be verbal and he may have been communicated various messages and things that we didn't see um so we got the general gist of things but beyond that uh and the, the other thing that's important to note too is that it's not like we it's not from his perspective. The dream is not from his perspective because a we see him. Although you know, of course, you can see yourself in a dream. Which is, you know, you can have a third, sort of a third person dream. Um, but we see him in the chair. Uh, it's he gets whispered this this name, but we don't hear it. It's not like we hear it and then he doesn't remember. But we can just go back and rewatch the episode. Um, so it's it's not in first person. So I think that's another indication that it's not a one-to-one -one of what he experienced. It's just sort of like if you had a camera that could go into someone else's right, dream. Right, yeah. At least that, that, that's, the way it, right. that's the way it felt to me. Um, in, the, interesting to note, um, there is one part... We, we kind of see the dream pay dividends almost immediately in this episode because there's a part of the dream where the man from another place indicates to Laura Palmer and says, she's my cousin, but doesn't she look almost exactly like Laura Palmer? And two scenes from now, right. we meet Laura Palmer's cousin, who looks exactly like her. Um, so, interesting right. detail, and we'll, we'll talk about her in a bit. Well, there's that, and there's also the, you know, a bit later with Albert and the uh, the fact that they were yes, bound. Yes, the arms bending back. Uh, when they were murdered, and, 
And that also, yeah, the arms bending back. And so that also pertains to the dream. So that's what I'm saying is that the dream, even though it was a dream and he couldn't possibly have known any of these things, you know, your subconscious can put together pieces of, you know, clues and things that you've seen, I'm sure, but certainly it's not going to, you know, without some supernatural forces, it's going to predict the future or tell you things that there's no way you could know. Um, but in this case, it did. So clearly there's more to this, uh, this dream phenomenon than, than it just being a sort of traditional uh, right. dream in that sense. Um, but yes, uh, so first, but before before we get into the dream, that was ju just before that we learned that Audrey was the one who wrote the uh, note about... One-Eyed Jacks, one, yeah. One-Eyed Jacks. And she Jacks, sort of yeah. like... Uh, um, Tries to subtly explain what it is to Cooper, um, without being too explicit. Right. Um, and that sort of you know, and that 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 the flirtation continues throughout the episode, um, or at least at one other instance in the episode. But by and large, um, that's like that's the that's the main point there. The other thing we learn, um, which is significant, I think, is that um, Laura worked yep. at Horns. Um, and in the perfume department, and with uh, with the other the other victims, so I think that there's also a, some hint of connection mm -hmm. there. Um, I do the way, yeah. I forgot yeah. about the way this episode opens is kind of funny because it's Audrey kind of staking out Cooper, um, very excited to like see him in the morning. But then when Cooper appears, the first thing he's talking about is how this is the morning of Laura's funeral. <laughs> so it seems. Um, a little tone deaf on Audrey's part. Audrey is an interesting character because we see this kind of, uh, I don't know about like manipulativeness, but she's definitely has a seeming lack of regard for, uh, Laura and for the emotions of the people, uh, around her, her family. Um, she is much more interested. She has very kind of self-centered interests, um, and is not afraid to, blatantly display uh, what her interests are despite whatever else is going on around her. Yeah. Um, you know, it's kind of a, a weird thing for me because, and I was going to say this when we got to the funeral, but it's not really so much about the funeral in general. It's just that the funeral happens, you know, we're now four episodes in, including the pilot. And I think... It's funny because I was uh, what I was going to say then is that the um, you know a lot of murder mysteries start with a funeral being part of the initial setup so that you can sort of see how everyone's reacting at the funeral who was at the funeral you know someone faking their you know being upset or, or whatever um, and once I realized that I also realized what is so strange about the death is that yes you see everyone reacting to it and of course it takes time for someone to get buried. Um, it, or sometimes can take time for people to get buried and, and whatever. Um, but this no man's time between, uh, you know, when she died and when she gets buried in mean, an actual funeral is sort of up in the air. And in fact, uh, I actually just learned this. Um, you know, there's a, a, a tradition, at least in, in Judaism, that, you know, the, <laughs> the time between when someone dies and when they get buried is a, a very strange time where you actually are freed from a lot of the like ritual obligations. Um, and just keeping that in the back of my, my head as I was watching this, um, it, it is it is sort of this limbo state. And so, well, yes, you know, perhaps it's a little callous 
to be talking about this. Like, what do you do in this weird in-between time where there's a murder investigation, you know, the, the traditional sort of burial things are not happening right away because there's all these other things that need to be done, all these investigations need to take place, and everyone's still coping with the reality of the situation. Um, and so I, for that reason, I wasn't so weirded out by what Audrey did. I was much more disturbed by Norma later on in the episode who's just out of the blue like that was to me way worse because that was just oh, after I, the funeral in which case Shelly? Like, Isn't Shelly? I think it's Shelly. Is it Shelly? If we're thinking about the same no. thing then yeah. I'm, I'm almost positive it's Norma but maybe We're talking not. about the Tersher making fun of Leland on the coffin? Yeah that was Shelly. Yeah. Yeah. Was it? Oh. Which I I I oh, agree with you case, completely okay, um, on that scene. Um, that's that's so funny. I could have sworn again. And then Norma comes up right afterwards to to talk to them at the table. So I guess I must have blended them in my head. Whoops. Okay. Well. Anyway, Michelle. But that yeah. to me is far more callous than than what Audrey was doing. Um, but I do think it's a it's a weird phenomenon that the last few episodes and then the pilot, if the pilot had been like one complete story. Uh, doesn't actually deal with the funeral, which is just a to me a funny f- sort of idea or story about a, a murder. Um, but I guess we'll, right. we'll get to the funeral. Um, from here they go to the morgue where uh, Albert and uh, Doctor Hayward are in a fight because Albert wants to do tests on Laura's body, but uh, Hayward insists that they have to pr- take the body to the uh, funeral home for the funeral, and they come to blows. Right. Well, they, and they don't really. I say they come to blows, but um, Albert doesn't physically fight at all. It's it's always Hayward who kind of initiates the the fight. But Albert is very very mean. Well, Albert does. Grab does he? Him, I think. Hmm. I think so. Well, I mean, uh, Albert is is um, receives a punch later. That's which is what I remember. But oh, he does. He does. He does. I just think that he. I thought he did, but I, I, I could be wrong. I will say that. Um, uh, I, I love his line where he says he's the salt <laughs> of sentiment. Yeah, uh, which is which is quite quite a line, uh, and also just hilarious considering <laughs> it's, it's Albert. Yeah, Albert's again a, a great character, and his um, his insults are so eloquent, um, and like they like they he has a poet's tongue um, for being mean to people. Yeah, and it's just an interesting words. like. You get the sense that he hasn't... It's not like he's written these down beforehand. It's literally just off the top of his head coming up with brand new, terrible things to say to people. Um, and yeah, and Albert, um, Miguel Ferrer is a, f- a fantastic actor and a really great performance. Yeah, no, I he, he's, he's very entertaining. He definitely gives the impression of like... Uh... I don't want to say prodigy, but very, you know, somebody who's clearly very intelligent and doesn't take, you know, he even says he doesn't suffer fools, but also you just get that impression if he didn't say that, that he's, he doesn't do well with, and I, and I think he also has a very narrow idea yeah. of intelligence as well, to the point where he doesn't, he doesn't think if you're not a certain way that you, that you are smart. Um, so he, just immediately disregards everyone in the town because he doesn't associate their behavior or mannerisms with intelligence, even if that's not an accurate. And it's a class thing too. Like he keeps harping on how their equipment is 
ancient and obsolete and he can't work with it. Oh, yeah. Um, so definitely this sort of small town where nobody, you know, there's no rich people in town except for the one rich family. Um, he even says it's like primordial. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. He has very little respect for them and he ha- makes assumptions about them, uh, based on that. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, so anyway, yeah, there's this, and it, it, you know, it's building on, was it last episode that they had that yeah. conf- initial confrontation? Um, here, Cooper actually jumps in to defend uh, the people of Twin Peaks twice, initially to say that uh, Albert should leave the body until, um, or should get what he needs to get done done so that the funeral can, can take place as scheduled. And then later he goes even further to um, to defend the people of Twin Peaks, uh, and even threatens Albert uh, with a reverse sort of um, report uh, to uh, to sort of uh, you know get him get him in line. Um, and uh, that that was a bit different than last episode. And, and not not that Cooper didn't you know was actively working against the sheriff or anything like that, but he does defend Albert there. But here he's very clearly on. On this, you know, he's he's made his choice that he supports the people in, in the city. Yeah, Cooper seems to draw a distinction between the way he was acting in the last episode, which was mainly just being, you know, denigrating and dismissive and and you know st- and still mean, but um, as opposed to this episode where he's actively trying to impede the funeral and really disregarding the emotions of everyone in town, um, and not having an understanding of what of the significance of Laura's death to these people like I, there's a great line later when he's talked when Cooper's talking to him where he says murder is not a faceless event here um, and of course if you're coming yeah, yeah, exactly. from you know it's if you're coming from DC yeah. or any city really uh, and you're working in the F- really if you're working in the FBI at all you're getting used you get used to the idea that you know um, you kind of have to uh, numb yourself to death and uh, and murder and you get used to not feeling anything about that um and albert is really clearly frustrated with the pe- with these people who are like who aren't like it's been a couple days since laura died and it's he, you can get the sense that he's like oh, can you, are you like are you not over this yet can we please just like we have and he's not wrong that they that he whatever tests he's going to do are presumably pretty important and for the case um sure yeah, exactly. But yeah, he has no sensitivity. He has no. He, he fails to understand the significance of uh, the funeral. And I think also Cooper doesn't mention this, but like holding the funeral is also important to the case because the entire time Cooper he he's looking all over. He's looked observing everyone, trying to gauge their reactions. Right. Of course. Yeah, and and clearly he's good at that, as we see again later. It's reiterated. Um, but I think. You know, it's it's. I, I was I was struggling a bit with with this. Um, you know, morally, it's like Albert's not incorrect. He was <laughs> assaulted, um, but on the other hand, uh, to take it into a report and make it a big thing, um, considering there wasn't apparently any lasting damage or anything like that, is you know just going to draw out and make some, you know people's lives way more difficult than they need to be, um, and further. You know, it's not like he punched him out because he just was visiting the town, and then you know they don't like outsiders or something like that. Like it's a very specific situation with a very specific context. Um, 
so you know it just seems kind of cruel to to try and report it though you can see you know in black and white terms why which just seems to be how albert thinks that 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 was you know yeah. a reportable offense and again by the books yeah and he's not even that's, i mean the, that's why cooper doesn't sign it i think it's, it's not he's not filing the report because well you know we have to it's this is the rules we hate you know i don't want to do it but we have to put this on the books that this happened he's doing it to be vindictive and so that he can have the last say um yeah. and so he can be right um there's really no yeah there, there's no moral argument to be made <laughs> really there is a uh legal argument maybe but uh albert is pretty clearly in the wrong in in trying to file a report about it yeah and, and it, you know that's the kind of thing you you'll you'll run to those people in, in yeah whatever work or <laughs> whatever thing where where it's it's like well yeah you're technically right but like yeah like, don't be a jerk <laughs> just there's no reason to be a jerk about it um but in any case uh so there's let's see what there's another there's another uh cameo of uh, invitation yes. to love and again on, on it, this and again it's uh first uh, of all these it's very funny um but it also immediately foreshadows uh the arrival of Maddie, Maddie Ferguson, in this same scene, um, when it talks about the actress who's playing two different characters. Right. Right, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and it's... Um, it was kind of a strange moment where she just seems to show up out of nowhere, but then there's not really any follow-up. Um, yeah, You know, it's it's kind of an odd thing that... Maybe, uh, you know, I suppose intentional. Uh, I guess we'll see how that plays out. But, you know, Leland has that weird moment with the photo last episode and then has that dancing moment later. And then, of course, there's the, the scene at the funeral. Um, but Maddie's not involved in any of those moments. And you would think that, obviously, well, not the photo one from last episode, but you would think that as somebody who really resembles Laura, that he would you know, his grief would manifest in some sort of way where he's trying to make her stand in for, for Laura. And maybe he will, but he hasn't yet, even though she's there and, you know, obviously looks very similar. Um, so it's kind of an interesting, uh, weird, you know, it seems like it would be a really logical fit um, that she would, you know, be the object of his grief, um, but in, or, or sort of a stand in for his grief or an effigy. Um, but in, in this case, he, um, he he doesn't. It's sort of all in in in. She shows up briefly, and then that's that's it for the episode. So I thought that was a yeah. Bit odd. The episode in general is. I mean, I want to talk about Maddie, but the episode in general is is definitely like, it is a little awkwardly constructed. There are a lot of scenes that end kind of abruptly. Um, aside from everything related to the funeral, I definitely felt like there were some scenes that kind of just felt like odds and ends. Like we, you know, we have to get this in this week, yeah. um, so that we can get on with this this storyline in a more natural way. But we have to have this scene, like the scene immediately after this with Norma talking about her husband in jail, definitely felt like that. Like, all right, we have to introduce this. Uh, yeah, no, exactly. I was I was gonna mention it, and I was like, I don't even know what this is in reference to or the context. Yeah. And, it, yeah, it feels exactly. like all right, we have to get this out of the way so that we can build on it in the future. But. Uh, you know, and it it makes it makes sense because the the centerpiece of this episode obviously is the the big funeral scene, um, and everything else right. is kind of like 
there are some important scenes, but a lot of them are kind of like, well, we need to put something here and we need to have this happen, so we'll it'll be in this episode. Um, because, you know, it, right. there's not a lot else that's like... The, the big thing in this episode is really just the funeral scene and kind of the surrounding scenes. Um, and definitely Maddie's... In- it, is, it is, but there, I mean, there's a lot of... Yeah, Maddie's introduction and then also, you know, the fact that, that Cooper and, and, and the sheriff finally go and speak to Leo, which hasn't happened yet. Um, and you get a little bit more information there and then they really also... Later, there's, of course, the big reveal of the... The bookhouse boys and all that stuff. So I, you know, there are there are pieces that I think are are fairly significant here. Um, but yeah, there are there are moments that seem kind of strange and disconnected. And and to this, you know, I still don't understand how certain uh, things are related. Um, I, I suppose the bookhouse bookhouse boys just connect a lot of characters um, on the back end, and then you know you sort of see these two factions of um, characters. Uh, which does split the town up a little bit in a more coherent way that, that links them. So it's like, well, you know, now we had no connection to Ed, or Ed had no connection to the murder except for that he's James's uncle. But now, oh, well, he's he is involved in some sort of grander way, which is, you know, it, it contextualizes a bit his marriage, marital, marital problems, which, as I mentioned last episode, didn't seem to really have anything to do with anything. Um, and so I, I think that, that in that sense, um, a lot of these things are connected. Uh, but yeah, you do get these weird moments like like Norman negotiating about what is it, yeah. Hank, um, and and it and it feels a bit out of place. Um, but yeah, Maddie. Um, um, but yeah. Anyway, you, you, yeah, you went. So that. yeah, she really just shows up for a couple of shots in this episode to introduce the character. She will have more to do in the future. Um, Maddie is actually my favorite character on the show. Um, I can't really talk about why yet because she hasn't done anything yet except appear. Um, but I really love Maddie. Uh, but yeah, she's played by Cheryl Lee, who plays Laura. Who uh, and like I've talked right. about in the past, this is what I alluded to when I said that uh, Lynch liked her performance in that picnic video so much that he wanted to give her more stuff to do on the show. This is what I was referring to. They the Maddie character exists because uh, they wanted. Cheryl Lee to be on the show more and Laura was dead um, and you can only do so many flashbacks um, so yeah it's right, right, right. an interesting yes or dream it's an interesting um, it's another example that a lot of what this show deals in like duality a lot um, this is a great example Laura and Maddie are, are kind of double or double well they are physically literally doubles of each other um but also there's Mike and Bob, or doubles from Mike and Bobby. Then um, we don't know the full extent of that or the full significance of that, but it's pointed out in this episode. Um, and there's a lot more of that. It's a major theme in the show, and uh, and Maddie's another great example, and we'll see more of her in the future. There's also the, you know, not that they're directly related in any way that we know of, but Nadine has an eye patch, and there's also one eye jacks, and there's no seemingly any connection between the two but you know generally a show if they have somebody with one eye mm-hmm. that's the only character <laughs> or the only reference to such a thing um so yeah uh definitely um so yeah the um just briefly they uh the sheriff and, and cooper go and and speak to leo um and there's not a lot here except that uh his story depends on shelly confirming his alibi 
which might present an opportunity for her to get him into trouble. Um, though perhaps not permanently if he didn't actually have anything to do with uh, Laura's death, which of course he didn't because, as we know, and as was so evident during the funeral, Donna <laughs> did it. I mean, it's just, it could not be more evident. That shot of her, she looks like every femme fatale from like 19... You know, she does. The hat was a little was a little bit much, I gotta say. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I mean, although I was like, actually, now oh, I, I I don't want to double back, but now that you mentioned that, I almost forgot. Maddie, her name Madeline is a reference to Vertigo, um, which is itself uh, a movie about a woman who is you know she doesn't the actress doesn't play two characters. Uh, you not to spoil Vertigo, um, but it is. <laughs> Two women who look suspiciously alike, um, and that's why that's why right. she's named Madeline. Um, but yeah. Oh, okay, interesting. I didn't realize that was the uh, that was the reference there. That's clever. Um, but yeah, there you go. Uh, you know, there's a. I'm just saying. You know, it's it's Donna. So anyway, so we we know it's not Leo. Uh, or I'm you know, pretty positive it's not Leo. So therefore, if Shelley doesn't confirm his alibi, he's just gonna go briefly to jail and then you know be furious with her. So. Um, but of course we do see, uh, a little bit later, although I suppose it doesn't really matter to, to bring it up now that she has purchased a gun. So perhaps it doesn't matter if she confirms his alibi because she might just shoot him. Um, but I guess we'll, we'll see the, that, that's not, you know, there's no, I like this Leo scene because he, um, like compulsively lies. Um, everything he says is a lie, even though, even things that he knows they can confirm. Like when, when Cooper asks if he has a criminal record and he says no, why do you think he d- won't know no, that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, you, you know, do you yeah. know Laura? No. It, it's, well, everyone knew. He Laura. just I mean, can't help like, himself yeah. but, but lie. Um, again, very suspicious, but you're right. Almost too suspicious to believe that he has, that, that he is the murderer. I mean, it's just like, and maybe, and you know what, in real life, it probably yeah. would be him, you know, <laughs> but in this show, it's just like, oh, wait, if it's going to be the person with a record, it's like, well, come on. Um, he was, yeah, he was definitely. <laughs> it's so boring. It's the the criminal did it. The criminal was the criminal. <laughs> yeah. Um, when the show was airing, he was absolutely like, everyone thought it was him. Everyone. Like, there's a, there's an SNL, there was an SNL sketch that I won't send you because it spoils something from the finale of season one. Um. But it's really funny, and Cal McLaughlin plays Cooper in it. Um, and the joke of the sketch oh, is basically like, Truman comes and says, yeah, Leo confessed to the murder. And Cooper's like, all right, uh, great, another clue in the mystery. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, the the assumption from the audience was that was Leo did hosting? it. Um, and you're definitely led, led to believe, um, unless you're a canny viewer like you are, um, that he, at the very least, is... <laughs> I just watched Scooby-Doo, you know? It's never um, that If nothing guy. else, he is involved in whatever crime ring is happening. I mean, he's involved in the drug trade, obviously. And that's... Oh, certainly. Yeah, certainly. So he's connected that, to that Laura in that way. But yeah, he's he's too... It's too obvious for him to be the killer. Um, what, Did Kyle MacLachlan host that? Um, that yeah, I think he must have. Okay, interesting. Um, cool, well, I, I'm, I look forward to watching that at some point. Uh... That's that's funny. It's funny because it, it's it's entirely possible that um, I've seen a lot of you know old SNL stuff. It's entirely possible that I've run p- across that sketch in the past. <laughs> but I just have no recollection of it, or it was completely out of context. Um, but in any case, uh, so let's see. What do we have next? Oh, Bobby. Yes, yeah. Bobby and his dad. Um, 
Um, yeah, so Bobby's standing there looking very <laughs> Jesus-y uh, in front of a, a cross, uh, which is a bit of a, an odd choice for Bobby, who does not seem like that kind of character <laughs> in any sense. Um, and then, uh, you know, he has this another weird conversation where with his dad, where I realize what is weird about his dad. I mean, a lot of things, but the, the primary thing is that his dad um, talks to him like talks past him almost like he's talking to you know it's like he read a parenting <laughs> book and then he's just talking as if it's like the kid in the book it's like now tell your son that you are proud of him and that you know that it's difficult for you know your son to speak to you know and like he's talking as if it's that's the person he's talking to not to a real human who he's interacted with and and can register you know it's it's just a really strange um and and Bobby seems just as mystified by his the way he talks about and to him, um, yeah. It's a it's a very odd. And then the one who's the most disconnected of all of them is you know his mother who walks in after he. Freaks oh my out god! Wearing wearing the smiley face pin for the funeral. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. So you know, <laughs> I love this. Odd. I love uh, Garland Briggs as a character because everything around him and everything about him would lead you to believe that he's a certain kind of person and he's completely the opposite. Bobby is very much, you know, he's a bad boy, he's rebellious, he does crimes, and his dad is a military man who never takes off his uniform literally ever. Um, So you expect this character to be very stern and strict and, like, and and obsessed with discipline, Um, but he's not. He's very gentle and he talks about how, like, it's okay, to, you know, it's okay to feel scared right now. Um, he's just not at all the person you would expect him to be. Uh, and I, I really am, I find, I've always found that really compelling. Um, even when I didn't like Bobby uh, pre- previously when I watched this show, I always liked the scenes with his dad. Yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's a dynamic. <laughs> I, I guess, I don't, I don't, I don't feel like that there's anything, you know, that the dad is, um, you know, there's no malice there. It's just that it's, but it does feel hollow. It feels kind of empty to me, um, in a sort of a depressing way. Um, well-intentioned, but like, again, from somebody who doesn't seem to really know their, their own kid very well, um, in context, at least again, from these judging from these, these conversations that we've seen, um, or, or, or maybe just difficulty communicating can only like recite, you know, textbooks, basically but i i don't know it's not entirely clear but i do find i I find their relationship quite odd um in a way that i I will say this i haven't seen that father-son relationship so far on tv so Mm. it's uh it's certainly new (laughs) in that sense um yeah i think that's uh that basically sums up that point uh we briefly get uh into as i we mentioned before uh albert delivers the forensic report and we get the the bit about arms bending right. back um and also a toxicology report that laura not only had cocaine but also mm-hmm. did cocaine um uh well there else uh oh yeah and then they have the uh the fight over um over the the report on on assault um there is a this f- kind of strange funny moment just after um that confrontation that uh cooper tells diane by the way how is diane getting any of these messages that he's that getting i don't recorder? remember 
I, so there's two possibilities. The first possibility is that he's mailing them uh, to her to either be like typed up or just like cataloged. Um, the second possibility is that he's saving them all for when he next gets back to his office, um, which would be. That's what I was. Yeah. I had. I assumed like. But can you imagine getting all these at once, especially since they all start as if yeah. at the beginning of a conversation? I I I, I assumed um, he had been be mailing them, but I don't. Rem- I don't think it's ever made clear exactly. Yeah, I mean, you know, in a, you know, a modern show, you would just say, oh, he's sending voice notes or something, you know, it's no problem, but because we know he's doing it on a type, uh, tape recorder, you're kind of like, what? what is the purpose of this? Is Diane <laughs> real? Um, <laughs> is this just what he calls his <laughs> tape recorder? Um, it's it's very unclear. Um, so, but that, anyway, leaving that aside, he does say that he seems to imply that he wants to buy right. property in Twin Peaks. It's, only, it's been four days. Um it's been four days, yep. And um, what, what's funny about that is it seems that his confrontation with Albert has sort of solidified that he really <laughs> likes Twin Peaks. <laughs> and he immediately goes, you know what? If I'm willing to defend it against someone, you know, and threaten one of my old colleagues, then clearly I want to live here, so I'm going to buy some property or, or at least have a, a house here. Um, which I thought was kind of a, a sweet thing. It is a bit odd that he says that it's going to be really cheap. Hmm. Um, I don't know where that well, so is. When he, gets, he says reasonably priced, which is also what he, what he talks about... Um... The hotel room he wanted. He wanted it to be reasonably priced. Oh, right. Reasonably priced, right. Um, I, I like how the next scene starts. Uh, so the camera's tracking over a bunch of like little porcelain tchotchkes or something like that. Um, and one of them has an eye patch. Or at least one of them has an eye patch. And I'm like, oh, I wonder, you know, like you immediately know where you are because, you know, where else would it be? It's, it's not one eye jack, <laughs> so it has to be Nadine. Um, and so. Uh, we see that, you know, the relationship, her relationship with Ed is, unfortunately for Ed, very, very positive uh, in her eyes. Um, and we get some, I guess, some um, backstory on uh, Ed's relationship with Norma and how that, I guess, ended and Nadine ended up sort of slotting in and um, I guess Norma went off and married someone else and uh, uh, Ed married Nadine and um, of course now we know that they are still in love and still seeing each other uh, which is a big problem partially for Norma's um, husband who's about to be released from prison I guess um, and then also for Nadine who is seems to be still completely oblivious to the fact that when she she was she was she understood there was problems with their marriage that seems evident because she says you came back to me or something uh, of that nature but doesn't really get that he's been you know seeing Norma this whole time. Um, or maybe she has. It's kind of unclear because she does bring up the specific yeah. story. Um, I don't know, but I, I mean, she must see that he's completely unenthused. Yeah, Nadine <laughs> is, is an enigma, for sure. Yeah. Um, and we see them interact with right. James as well, who she seems to be confused by. She yeah, that's, that's an interesting moment because uh, it's not like... Yeah, she must know who he is, but I like the idea that he, that she just, I almost like the idea that she kind of only barely knows who he is. Um, like, so, uh, Ed is, is James' uncle, and I don't remember, I don't remember the specifics, but I think right. we can safely assume that, uh, it's Ed's, James is from Ed's side of the family, um, because, I, I don't know, I, I'm just amused by the idea that James and Nadine basically never interact to the extent that she 
the name James means coming out of her husband's mouth means nothing to her. Right, exactly. Which which is why it was kind of fun to see the scene with all three of them in one place. You're like, oh, right. Um, and James says he doesn't want uh, doesn't want to go to the funeral, which of course he immediately reneges on and goes to the funeral um, because he's uh, you know feels terrible and and cared about Laura and and, and does. Yeah. He's a very emotional boy. That um, James. <laughs> he is. That is that is definitely true. Um. Yeah, so I think, uh, oh, uh, then just before the funeral, there's one other moment where um, it turns out there's a whole hidden passageway at the inn or the yes, tavern. Yes, uh, at the is. hotel, there's um, Audrey has all these little secret passages in between the walls. Um, so she can spy on people, which I'm sure will. I love, yeah, I love this. And it's such, it's such a weird, again, just such a weird detail and such a fun thing. It makes perfect sense for Audrey. Because the way she walks around the hotel, like, uh, you totally get the sense that, like, she could be in the walls anywhere, at any moment, watching everyone. Um, that's just sort of the person she comes across as. Um, so to have there literally be secret passages that she can walk, uh, through and spy through little peepholes into different rooms, um, very funny. And also, it's not not that you need a logical, you know, reason in a uh, David Lynch project, but you know, it's probably reasonable that there would be maintenance areas, you know, for people to to, to work on pipes and things without having to break the wall. Oh, sure, totally makes sense as well. Um, so you know, there you go. Um, so yeah, she she sees that uh, Johnny. Um, they're trying to convince Johnny not to wear the, uh, you know, Native American headdress thing he's got on. Um, and, uh, and it's actually the Dr. Jacob, uh, Jacoby who, who gets him to, to take it off. Um, yeah, it's a, I don't really know the significance of this scene or why it was in. I just introduced, I guess, the, the secret passages. Um, I mean, John, you know, we have heard nothing from Johnny other than, you know, we know his relationship with Laura and, um, it does set up that moment, which I actually really liked in the funeral where he says, you know, amen really loud um, after, after the uh, priest or, or reverend or whoever it is gives a, gives his uh, eulogy. So I, I did like that. And we would have recognized him without his, you know, address because we haven't seen him without it. Um, but uh, other than that, yeah, I thought it was kind of a, kind of an odd, an odd moment. Um, I, it is, it is worth noting that the, I suppose that, uh, the, the parents just, you know, they, they feel embarrassed by him wearing that in public, even though everyone knows that he has, you know, he has special needs, and, you know, I don't think anybody would think twice about it, um, but they didn't feel comfortable with him going to this funeral with, you know, wearing it. Um, but, yeah, other than that, I don't know if there was there was much significance to the... Um, it's also... Dan- um, yeah, you go ahead. We... No, you can go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Um, did we, did we skip the scene about the... Uh, no, the that's letters? later. Oh, no, that's a bit later. That's later. Okay, good. Just want to make sure we didn't, we didn't leave that out. Um, yeah, go ahead. Um, I, I already forgot. <laughs> so. Oh, same. there you go. See, my thing was. So let's important. let's go on to the funeral then, because <laughs> uh, that's the big scene. Yeah, of course. Um, 
so yeah so i like you know so johnny's so there's the there's the eulogy where we get these these shots of all the different people at the funeral uh of note and i thought this was a weird probably you know significant choice uh the camera only really shows her friends um and doesn't actually show her parents until you know the scene with her parents a bit later on um laura's parents i mean uh because you know i guess we're partially looking at this for you know to figure out who's guilty uh donna um and i think that that's you know that's the logic there but it's funny that we don't get um that we don't see the parents who you would you would expect to focus on in a case where you know their their child died <laughs> uh but you can see the angle that the the camera is taking this um this funeral is really in the in the context of the yeah well it's uh, yeah because this is these shots are we're meant to understand are kind of Cooper's perspective in this scene, so it's telling us who he specifically is yeah. is observing. Um, yeah, and it is interesting that he's only looking at her, looking at the reactions of her friends and not uh, any not just her parents, but not any of the adults really. Um, yeah, definitely an interesting note. I'm not sure what to. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, except for uh, you know, as I said, this is. Where we figure out who the murderer is. So in fact, we did get it this episode. We know it's, uh, it's Donna, because she spits on the grave midway through. Didn't you see that? Um, no, she doesn't. Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah. Uh, so then there's the the moment when uh, they're I guess they're using some sort of machine to lower the coffin. Well, first there's Bobby. The Bobby has this grave. outburst that I really love. Oh, you're he... right, right. Sorry, Bobby. So so Johnny. Johnny does the amen thing, and then then Bobby sort of just like yeah, he yells and and yeah, uh, and he's he's out. so furious at the you know it's interesting what he says, which is that um, everybody knew she was in trouble because we haven't up to this point had any indication right. of that. Um, specifically, uh, the the most important the key moment there is that in the pilot, when they find the bag of cocaine, Truman says, "Yeah, yeah, I was just going to say no, this, there's no yeah, way, yeah, yeah. there's no way, Laura Palmer." did cocaine yeah um and that is kind of that's that is what we are led to understand is what the rest of the town thinks about her um just based on how they also react to her death so when bobby says that everyone knew she was in trouble it definitely it, it casts suspicion on a lot more people not in terms of like who the killer is but just in general what did people know about her that they wouldn't tell anyone else um, why does you know why does Bobby think well, that uh, it was more that it was obvious because obviously Bobby you know he knew about whatever kind of drugs you know she was doing so whatever kind of darker life she was living Bobby was obviously aware of it maybe more than other people but Bobby also thinks that everyone else knew thinks that everyone else knew um, at the very least knows that everyone knows about you know, the drug ring and things like that, and thought it's not such a stretch to think that the kids in the town would be caught up in that and that they're not, you know, it, it, I didn't take it literally that people knew that she was specifically in trouble with specific situation that was going to get her killed, but more broadly that, you know, you knew that there was drugs ruining this community, that there was this crime ring going on that you guys are not actively, you know, working on or not actively fighting, and there that was leading to... Um, you know that's that's ensnaring these young people um, like 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 him and like Laura uh, and 
so I, I took it more broadly, more generally like that. But yeah, certainly it does cast suspicion as well if you take it. Take uh, well, it, it would forward. be interesting if it was just about the drugs because, of course, it would it, <laughs> it would be it would be quite a stretch for Bobby to call other people hypocrites in that area, considering he was the one like bringing drugs into town and probably selling them to her. Um, so very possibly, but I mean, he's clearly oh, not yes. the mastermind. Absolutely, but like clearly Leo. When Leo he talks about how no one would help her, it's like, well, and, and you could have not given her drugs. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Well, so so I'd say he's not the mastermind. And the other thing, too, is, you know, not that he's blameless in it, obviously, but, you know, it, it, you know, it reminds me of situations where and clearly he doesn't have a normal relationship with his parents. So, you know, he's, he's treating the, the community as his parents in this analogy I'm making. But, you know, when someone comes from a, you know, a, a family where, you know, there's abuse or something, you know, going on and it's not, you know, a very unhealthy sort of situation. And then they end up acting out. They can still resent their parents, even though they did things, yeah. you know, as a result of that, you know, thing, you know what I mean? So in this case, it's like, he'd be like, yeah, I did those things. And I, you know, I, I certainly take responsibility for it, but the adults in this town are supposed to be protecting the kids and I'm still a kid and you guys completely drop the ball. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, no, I agree with you. So that, like that's 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 how I read it, you know, when he was saying this, and I, I actually <laughs> I empathize with Bobby more in that moment than uh than I have so far in the in, in the show. Yeah, it's a it's a really good moment. Um, it is. It's, it's yeah, the 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 great the truly great moment in this in this scene and in this episode is when Leland, in a uh, in a fit of emotion, falls on top of the coffin. And it key and then the mechanism, the lowering mechanism breaks and it keeps going up and down, up and down while he's sobbing on top of up it. It's down, this yeah. great, it's such a good Twin Peaks moment because it is at once funny, um, but also you kind of feel bad for thinking that it's funny because it is such a dark moment, um, and it is wrapped up in, uh, you know, it's not just it's not it's not isolated. It's wrapped up in everyone in town who's who's also there and their reactions and specifically Sarah Palmer's reactions which she has an interesting line where she says uh don't ruin this too I think is what she says Yeah I thought that yeah I, I noted that uh I wasn't sure what that It's was not co- yeah it's not completely to. clear what specifically she's talking about but it's definitely it's alluding to something in their relationship and in their family that we're not 100% privy to I mean, the first, I, so I, I wrote down two ideas on this. One is that he had something to do with letting Laura get, you know, become estranged or not really keeping tabs on her or who knows, something having to do with Laura, in other words, for ruining Laura, quote unquote, or conversely, and maybe that's, you know, that would explain why he's so upset. I mean, even more, he's, it seems, than his wife because um, he blames himself or feels guilty or something like that. Um, the other thing, though, is that she could just literally be talking about, you know, they had this probably very important photo that they show every single episode and is very emblematic of the show uh, that he did physically ruin last episode right. with blood and shattered. So uh, I wasn't sure because that's all we have to go on. So it, it's one of those two things. I right. That's it. Um, the, interesting, interesting prediction. Good read of that scene. Um, don't <laughs> take, don't take my words. Don't, don't think about that. Um, so, <laughs> Let's, listen, just don't think. Let's move on. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> that's okay. it, don't worry, you're good. Um, no, the, the next scene is is what uh, we were talking about earlier with Shelley. Um, in I, what I agree is a very out of character moment. I think we are not taken to understand that Shelley is like a cruel person or an insensitive person. Well, it feels it feels extremely deliberate. Yeah, like it's immediately after. Right. You know? Yeah. Like we're supposed to see the contrast between this like sad moment, which, by the way, it, I, I don't know, it's absurd. Yes, but I didn't really find it funny. I don't find any scenes with Leland funny. Like at this point, they're all just really depressing. Um, so when she did this, I was like, really? That's like the first time I've seen any character be so malicious. And I even am counting characters who kind of just casually <laughs> talk about murder. Um, it's just just like the the idea of just being catty. It's just not a thing that I've seen any characters well, do so far on the show. Even Albert is at least, you know, openly a jerk to people's faces instead of, like, you know, mocking them. Well, I think it speaks back. to... One, I think it's it definitely tells us something about Shelley's character that we didn't know previously, um, which is that she def- she has a, a mean streak or an insensitive streak. But also, it you know, the fact that mm. the other two people there are laughing might speak to... Yeah, um, old guys. Like how the Palmers are viewed in the community, how Leland is viewed in the community. Um, the fact that they can be laughing so oh, yeah, quickly yeah. after the funeral, and, you know, a, a few days after Laura's death, um, might be indicative of how Leland is perceived by other people as maybe kind of um, clownish, not really taken seriously, um, to the extent that they can easily laugh about this event because it's, you know, oh, of course, well, that's that's something Leland would do. Um Whereas if, or even that they that they don't like him, like they actually have negative opinion of him, as we see in the the scene at the very end of the the episode. Um, not to jump ahead to there, but like you know, he's in distress, and everyone's just sort of backing away, and no one wants to. Like he doesn't have friends come to his aid, and you know, until it's people involved in the murder investigation, like Cooper is right. not his friend. <laughs> um, he doesn't have anybody in the community going like, oh, Leland, it's okay, or like, I'll dance with you, or anything like that. They all just sort of treat him like, you know, you know, some sort of outcast or something. It's like, distra- it's really sad, it's really distressing, but that would explain a little bit more, you know, if people have right, this perception yeah. of him. Um. The the big thing in this scene um, is that it's it's uh, Ed and Truman and Hawk uh, and they've invited Big Ed. B- big Ed. As <laughs> calls um, well, he does run big. Yeah, Big Isn't Ed's gas farm. Isn't that the name farm. of his? Yeah. Is that the name of his thing? Yeah, it's funny they calls him Big Ed because I don't think anybody actually does, says that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a strange, uh, strange, you know, sort of very typical thing to do. Um, but yeah, yeah. So he immediately. So there's a bet on to see if Cooper will figure out that he's... Because I guess the sheriff has been talking about how he figured out his relationship um, with Josie. Uh, so they have this bet to, to pay the bill based on whether or not uh, you know Ed is in love with Norma, which immediately Cooper susses out <laughs> literally no effort. Yeah. Um, and then we get... But then we jump into the real important bits, uh, which is first that uh, Jacques Renault... Um, uh, who we we heard about a couple episodes, or maybe it was last episode uh, about uh, that that who may have drugged Ed, um, is an important figure, and Cooper is sort of let in on this whole thing. And then bigger than that, we hear about finally this 
the bookhouse boys and that whole thing. So, yeah, I suppose we should go through that. So, yeah, what, the way Truman describes it is that, well, first of all, yeah, there's this kind of secret society in town that is, um, right. right now, their main thing is trying to figure out who is running drugs into town and trying to take out, you know, all of everyone who's involved. Um, but Truman talks about how there is this evil force in the woods around Twin Peaks. Um, and he doesn't describe, like, the way he talks about it doesn't indicate that he is thinking, like, supernaturally um, in any way. He's definitely, he's talking metaphorically. Um, just like there is some kind of, there, there is some malicious thing that uh, causes, uh, that, that exerts pressure on this town. And one of the ways it's happening right now is these drugs that are coming into town. Um, and the point of the Bookhouse Boys is to push back against it because for some reason Twin Peaks has just always been haunted by this. Um, and it's an interesting notion because it is not, this is not like a superstition the way he's talking about it. He's not like he's not saying there's there's like a witch who lives in the woods and who, who cast a curse on the town. Right. He's saying like no, there is like for, for for whatever reason, bad stuff happens in Twin Peaks and bad people do bad things, and we are try we do our best to to combat that. Yeah, it's a weird it's weird when he talks about that because at first I was you know just knowing that Twin Peaks has this weird. Uh, supernatural sort of side to it. I wasn't sure what he was referring to, um, but then he, but then I, I, I guess I just sort of said, you know, I took two notes. I said, well, one, it could be that it's supernatural, and he's literally referring to that, um, or that he's saying, um, yeah, he's just talking about human nature and 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 people being, you know, veering on the uh, on the side of evil, and you know this idea that because he runs this tiny little sheriff's department with, you know, not a lot of supports that he has these citizen deputies all over town, uh, isn't a really an unreasonable thing. And that's how he begins to introduce it. And then it, you know, becomes clearer that there's, uh, you know, it's more of them and that it's a, a bit more of a concerted effort. Uh, but one thing that is kind of funny is that, you know, because he didn't mention this to Cooper initially, although it's, I guess, only been a couple of days, um, people who were possibly suspects and, and, and all these things uh, were also part of the Bookhouse Boys. So it's kind of like they weren't really suspects because I think the implication is that if they're in the Bookhouse Boys, they're probably not dangerous or they're probably not, um, you know, they're they're not the, they shouldn't be the focus of the investigation because they're ostensibly, they've been vetted by whatever means you get into the, uh, uh, get into the club, so to speak. Um, so when when they see James there, it's like, well, James clearly had nothing to do with anything because why else would he be involved? Bookhouse boys, at least that yeah, seems to be the implication. You're right. Um, when he sees James there, um, yeah, I will say that they. they yeah, they I was about to say. <laughs> when he sees James is when they go to the bookhouse, <laughs> where they have um, Bernard Renault, who's the he's the roadhouse janitor, and who's the brother of Jacques Renault, who's the bartender they're talking about. Um, yeah, they have right. him tied up and gagged. Um, and it's interesting that Cooper has no, as a member of the FBI, no objection to this whatsoever. Um, I, that yeah. was exactly uh, which, I mean, me, yeah. you know, maybe 
commentary on the Federal Bureau of Investigation in terms of lawfulness, um, but <laughs> also comments on Cooper's character, who's oh, yeah, very much like he's very he was very black and white feelings about good and evil, and um, yeah, exactly. Although it is interesting when he when Ed says he's not a deputy, he says, "Oh, well, then that's a little outside your jurisdiction." Well, it's also like um, right. illegally detaining someone is a little outside uh, the sheriff's jurisdiction, but sure. Um, yeah, Bernard exactly. Renault is funny because his accent is completely uh, uh, impossible to place. Um, the, the name Renault, you would think maybe he's like French, but it it doesn't really sound like right. he's from anywhere. Um, and his brother's accent right. is completely different. <laughs> so, so the Renaults are uh, an interesting bunch. Yeah, yeah, that was. Um... That was a a funny moment when he was speaking because I think it is supposed to be French, but yeah, it just comes off very strangely. Um, and it's the same for because I was listening very hard for that because at, at first I wouldn't have if he had just had him speak English, you know, with an American accent, I would not think anything of it because they gave him an accent. It's like all right, I guess that's a thing. Uh, so yeah, uh, but yeah, no, I had the, I had the same feeling. Yeah, I guess he just feels like well, I, I you know I know Truman is is good, so anybody he's he signs off on, I believe. Yeah. Kind of thing, um, so I guess that's why. But yeah, it is a bit of an odd, an odd moment. Um, so yeah, and then there's this, you know, he uh, Bernard somehow had set off a, a warning signal at the top of uh, the bookhouse or uh, the well, the roadhouse. That's yeah, where Jack is going. Um, yeah. Oh, roadhouse. Oh, okay. Um, which which indicates that he's you know in distress, some sort of distress signal. And then we learn that Jacques. Bernie, I guess his name is, uh, and and Leo are are all in cahoots, um, which is a, a right. significant moment. Um, yeah, de- putting putting some pieces together, putting some pieces together, and also as I was saying earlier, like splits the town a, a bit more clearly, uh, and and it's clear that you know Bobby is not part of that that group, but is affiliated in some way by you know extension by having you know involved himself in those dealings. Um, but is not like a yeah. player, so to speak, and no one's looking yeah. out for him. So uh, he he could get him thrown under the bus with probably very exactly. little effort. Uh, same with same with Mike. Um, by the way, we didn't talk about this earlier. Uh, Bobby freaks out, and then there's that slow motion fight with James. Oh yeah, we didn't I really I really like that that <laughs> shot. Um, we didn't even mention this, by the way. This is the first episode so far that's not directed by David Lynch. Um, this was directed by oh. Tina Rath. Rathborn, um, not written by David Lynch either. It's or no, no, I'm sorry. The uh, episode, the second episode was not directed by David Lynch. Um, my mistake. But this is the first oh, okay. episode that wasn't written by Lynch or Mark Frost. It was written by Harley Payton. Um, so it is definitely. Okay. Uh, and Lynch won't didn't direct another episode until the until season two, um, or or write one. So oh, well. the, Lynch's distance from Twin Peaks in after about halfway through season two becomes part of the story of the production of that season. <laughs> um, that's a ways off. Right. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting to see how different directors kind of try to adapt that his style and try to work in his kind of visual language. And that slow-mo fight is an interesting example. I think it's, I think it's really well executed personally. I like it. It is, uh, you know, slow motion is hard to do convincingly without being, yeah, corny 
obviously you can do the very stylized stuff like a Zack Snyder type thing, which is it's its own phenomenon. But in drama, um, it was it's funny not to completely um, derail this, but uh, I a couple of years ago saw caught the Lion King again on TV, and um, and what what reminded me of this is recently there was a tweet from uh, I don't remember it was some two D animator who was very like a, a very good animator who asked a question saying, um, "Does anyone has anyone seen any convincing slow motion animation in two D, you know, like in two D animation?" Uh, and it would be great to to get a snapshot, preferably in a feature a feature film. And all I can think of was this was this shot in The Lion King where um, it's that final fight between Scar and Mufa, uh, Scar and Simba, sorry. Um, and it's I had forgotten that it's this weird. I don't know if you remember this scene, but it's so strange because they're fighting and it's like these frames of them fighting. It's like like these still frames. It's not like actually hmm. animated out. It's a very odd. And then they sort of like crossfade into each other. It's a very strange um, scene. It's not really slow motion. It's not really anything. It's just this like weirdly dramatic thing. And in rewatch, it felt very 90s. Um, but what what was interesting about that is that if you look at old slow motion like live action footage especially from the 90s and, and earlier on where they didn't really have these high frame rate cameras it doesn't really work um and because it's they weren't able to get that that sort of fidelity that you need for really quality slow motion um and you know that's part of the reason the matrix was so interesting in, in many ways um uh, among others um so i was actually impressed with the scene which which does in some ways really get that slow motion down um, and and uh, feels a bit more believable, uh, and uh, yeah, and it was nice that you know this episode's not really filled with a lot of cinematic you know cinematography um, uh, moments like cinematographic moments that feel very uh, different, uh, but this this moment did and definitely stuck out, made the the funeral right. and the centerpiece. Um, so yeah, I think. Uh, think that's about it there's the, a couple the, more well i don't blame you for uh, forgetting the scene with josie and and catherine um because <laughs> there's yeah well, there's the bit with the two ledgers um where where she's yeah. you know yeah because catherine took one and yeah um Truman knows about right and she's convinced that she's gonna be yeah murdered. here's yeah. the thing um <laughs> i love the characters of Josie and Catherine and Pete, like as characters, I, I think they're all really interesting and fun and they're great performances. Um, but this storyline for me <laughs> never gets interesting. Nothing involving them ever gets interesting. It is the most kind of nakedly soap opera storyline without any, without very much kind of garnish, uh, any Lynch garnish on it. Um, with a couple exceptions, but this is, there. I'll defend a lot of Twin Peaks storylines, especially when it gets really gonzo in season two. Um, but this one, uh, never, never lands for me. Never works for me, despite liking the characters. Oh, interesting. Well, that's. that's I'm sorry. That's to, well, I mean, you might like <laughs> it. Who knows? Context. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I'm. You know. You know, when you have murder mystery and stuff, you know, it. It. it seems to connect enough to other things going on in the show that I'm intrigued by it. You know, the the, the storyline was always least interested in was the, <laughs> the curtains. Uh, and we got a lot more of that than we did of this, so I was like, you know. Mm. Um, but, you know, this connects in some ways to 
horns. Oh yeah, because right? Catherine and, and and Benjamin Horn are in cahoots. Exactly. So for me, that's enough. But I guess we'll see. You know, if it if it doesn't come to oh, anything, it's not that it doesn't come to anything. It's just that like yeah. I'd never really like it. Definitely, it goes. It, it goes. But um, it I just never really kind of uh, connected with it personally. Um. Yeah. So, and and also, there's this other bit that she thinks her husband was murdered, um, and that she will also get murdered. So I think that, um. Yeah. So for me, that's that's that, that's kind of intriguing. Although I'm, you know, there's one ledger, two ledgers, one ledger we never saw on the ledgers. We don't know what the context is. There's not really any. Like, <laughs> yeah, because we were talking last week about um, like what what are the implications of that there are two ledgers. And when Josie asks yeah. Truman what the implications are, he basically says, uh, crime, probably. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and I like how he flips through the book, like, for two seconds. Nothing amiss here. I'm like, mm, yeah. Well, that's not investigation. That's not detective work, but all right. Um, and also he makes this, I think, dumb promise where he's like, nothing will happen to you as long as I'm here. Um <laughs> How could you possibly? That couldn't possibly that? be foreshadowing, could it? You have a secret relationship. You don't even live together. You're like it's yeah, um, a bit uh, a bit of an empty promise, but I suppose it's it's meant to comfort. Um, yeah, and then I, I think the last scene is in the graveyard. Oh no, sorry. There's two scenes. There's a scene in the graveyard, and then there's, there's yeah. There's the, this. Uh, there's a yeah. short scene in the gra- graveyard where Jacoby goes to visit the grave hours after the funeral, and Cooper is right. there. Um, I guess he's just been. I guess. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like, it's, it's probably out. a good idea, um, but it is kind of funny to imagine Cooper just like hanging out in the graveyard, watching the grave for the rest of the day, to see if anyone suspicious yeah. will show up, um, and someone does, uh, Jacoby. Uh, um, and he. But he's very uh, straightforward about it. He seems pretty. Yeah, it, well, that's and that's what's interesting about the scene is like <laughs> going to to her grave after everyone has already left on the day of the funeral is like the most suspicious thing you could possibly do. Um, but yeah, he's very like right. open and and very not. He's not surprised even this. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, he's like, yeah, it makes sense. Um, <laughs> why you would be here? Uh, yeah, I, I like the scene. It's it's Jacoby is. I don't know if I want to call him an interesting character, but he is definitely a character who has. He has more going on than I think he has than than they had to give him, um, for him to kind of function in in the story. Well, considering what we've seen of him so far, he, you know, he convinced Johnny to get rid of the headdress. He had that weird scene in his, you know, island themed <laughs> yes. house. Uh, and then there was that initial introduction in the hospital and the pilot. You know, there's not really much context to him. Uh, this is the most human he's felt. Not just a series of like weird um, uh, ticks or whatever um, idi- idiosyncrasies. Um, so that was kind of nice seeing that you know he's like I don't care about any of my patients, which was a bit of a weird thing to say. But anyway, I don't care about any of the people here. But Laura, you know, made it all different, and I and I did care about her, and it was you know it, she was somebody I cared about, and and he's just very open about that, which I thought was a sweet. And he also, you know, he doesn't seem to resent people for thinking that he's, you know, their friend because he listens and things like that. But he, he definitely had a different sort of relationship yeah. with Laura. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so then this this, uh, this last scene where, where Cooper's having a conversation with Hawk, yes. right, about souls. Um, 
And in the meantime, Leland is, you know, he's dancing. Just... Uh, yeah. Well, he, he's well, he's sort of like up and down, and then he finally starts. You know, he's like laughing, and then and then he gets real sad and tries. To yeah, it's a, he, it's interesting because. Uh, juxtaposed with the conversation that Cooper and Hawk are having, because when we first see him, he's like he's just standing there, almost comatose, and then it's kind of like he wakes right. up. Um, and they're talking about how uh, Hawk, there's this uh, you know belief in uh, I don't remember the name of the uh, tribe he talks about. Uh, yes, but he talks yeah, and he talks about there's this uh, you know there's the living soul and the and the dream soul that wanders uh, in in the dream in. You know, I don't remember the specifics, but he talk and the way he talks about it is is when and their entire conversation, we don't really see them. We're looking at Leland the whole time, and the way he talks about the dream soul that wanders and and uh, it's interesting because Leland seems so like empty when the scene opens, um, and then it's like something comes rushing back into him, and all of a sudden he's possessed by this desire. Like I have to, I have to dance with someone. Um, Right. And then it's, it's it's also kind of similar to what we see at the funeral, where he is not, you know, comatose. Um, he's clearly upset, but he he has this, like, rush of emotion all of a sudden. Um, right. Leland, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely see more from Leland. He's, uh, he's, a, he's an interesting guy. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I anticipate that he'll, he'll play a significant role moving forward. Um, but yeah, no, that, that has certainly happened with both, both of Laura's parents uh, as, uh, since the the pilot, so um, yeah, I noticed that that parallel with with what they were talking about. Um, yeah, so that that basically wraps up the episode. Uh, was there? I'm trying to think. Um, do Do you know the the next episode the, the is next called episode? the One Armed Man? So oh, what? Well, there you go. That's who what could that refer to? I wonder. Who significantly, by the way, you know, as Cooper. That's one part of his dream that he could have pulled from, I guess, his memory or subconscious memory, because they did see a one-armed man uh, at one point uh, earlier on, and or he did. Um, so assuming that wasn't a hallucination, uh, there is a real one-armed person somewhere in um, Twin Peaks. Um, so he has Hawk out looking for him, uh, which is the current, who is, of course, a tracker. <laughs> yeah. So uh, there you go. Uh, we'll we'll see if that turns out to be a real. Well, it is someone they saw. Yeah, exactly. There's someone that Hawk definitely did uh, see in the hospital, and that we saw in the very first episode. Um, oh, so it was Hawk. I thought it was. Uh, well, they um, Cooper did. Well, I don't. Cooper didn't notice him, but we he, we we do see him getting out of the elevator in the hospital in the first episode. Right, 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 and going into that weird yeah. blue room. Yeah, I guess we'll uh, we'll learn more about the one mm-hmm. in the next episode.